Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us again this week as as we come back to our topic of studying the Word together, trying to listen better, hear better, and apply the Word better in our lives. Uh, As always, I am Pastor Brad, the Adult Ministries Pastor at Faith Bible Church. Um, And again, uh, from from his basement, I am joined uh, by Pastor Tom Rempel, our preaching pastor. Uh, Welcome to the podcast this week, Tom. Thanks, Brad. It's good to be back with you and Jared this morning. We are uh, obviously uh, looking forward to the time when we can be recording this live again, uh, rather than rather than our in our own basements in our separate locations. And and there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel coming that direction. So Lord willing, uh, we'll continue to move forward and maybe be uh, seeing each other again in in the next few weeks uh, to record this podcast, which would be a a joy. Um, but but. I want to get back to the the main subject here and and your Route 66 sermon series. Um, uh, Again, for those that haven't been with us long at the church or or haven't been at the church since January, uh, Tom has been working through the Bible from Genesis through Revelations, um, studying major characters in the Bible, calling the series Route 66, um, taking a look at all the different characters throughout the Bible. And you've moved Genesis clear through the book of Judges, and, and this week you found yourself in in 1 Samuel, taking a look at Israel's first king, King Saul, from primarily chapters 13 through 15. Uh, so Tom, uh, the big three questions that you've been coming back to each week that you started your sermon series with in January was, what did we learn about God? What did it reveal about mankind? And how does this person point us to Christ? So let's let's start with question number one. What did we learn about God uh, from the life of Saul on Sunday? Well, I think that the two things that really arrested my attention with that is one that, that God has a definite purpose for His people, and that uh, even in the resistance and the failure of man, that God continues to unfold His plan. Uh, the second thing that I think was uh, in His response to Samuel when Samuel said, "Lord." You know, they're rejecting me. And God said, no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king over. He still demonstrated amazing patience with them. He said, give them the king that they've asked for. So uh, we, we see a God that uh, continues to faithfully work out his purposes and does not allow man to hinder that, but at the same time gives man lots of grace in the outworking of his plans. Mm. It it strikes me as interesting based upon that one of the one of the children's Bibles uh, I read to to Saya and Brianna in the evenings um, when when the Israelites ask for king and he gives them King Saul the the line there that always sticks with me is it says be careful what you ask for you just might get it <laughs> which <laughs> which was right. exactly That's what right. happened in the case of the Israelites with King Saul uh, yeah you know, my son once said that, that God sometimes gives us what we need but often He gives us what we deserve. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. Both a caution and a, a good reminder there uh, from the life of Saul. Uh, secondarily, uh, what did the life of Saul reveal about mankind or about us? Well, that, that man arrogantly thinks that he has the solutions to his own problems. And uh, I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting to, 
the repetition, but um, that that Saul was head and shoulders taller. He was a handsome man, um, and so when God goes to replace him, he warns Samuel. He says, "A man does not see as God sees. Man looks at the outward; God looks at the heart." Mm-hmm. So what we realize is that a man capable of seeing true character. He can only see the outward, but God knows the heart. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny that, that that reminder is coming at a time uh, when we're looking for someone to address uh, our fears and concerns, and so many officials are standing up like they have all the solutions uh, to the problem, and, and we want to we wanna be the, the ones with the solutions as mankind. Um, and yet, it, I, I can't help but think of, you know, 1 Corinthians where, where Paul writes that it talks about that God has chosen the weak things and, and the foolish things of the world uh, to embarrass the proud. Uh, good reminder from the life of Saul uh, that I, I know I resonate with. Uh, last, lastly, how, how does this story point us to Christ? Well, the, the further along we, we move on our, our Route 66 journey, the more, the more the portrait comes into play. And uh, we will see in Christ that he is a prophet, he is a priest, and he is a king, and uh, so this story of Samuel and Saul demonstrates, you know, uh, the the prophet side. And actually, you see Samuel uh, functioning as a priest on occasion, but ultimately, mm-hmm. it's the promise that there will be the King of Kings. So we look forward to the one who will uh, be the full and complete King of Righteousness. Amen. No doubt. All right, well, that is Saul. So let's begin turning our attention from, from the sermon uh, to a little bit of a different subject, the, the biblical interpretation key that we're going to talk about this week. Uh, the last two weeks we've been discussing context, if you've been listening to the podcast, and how context um, impacts our biblical interpretation. Um, and in case you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, uh, we've basically defined context as the information surrounding a biblical text that informs the meaning of the passage. Uh, For example, the first week we talked about the verses and chapters that come before and after and how that informs the meaning of the passage. Last week we talked about how the historical and cultural situation informs our understanding of the topic. Uh, So we've looked at textual and literary context. We've looked at historical and cultural context and this week, we're going to talk about our third and final aspect of context. Uh, it seemed appropriate because we started out the topic talking about context, context, context. Um, so we've got three weeks on context, and this week we have geographical context. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at that from the life of Saul. Um, so as somebody, Tom, who wasn't particularly fond of geography and memorizing <laughs> states and countries' names and capitals, and I've probably forgotten as much as I remember uh, from high school geography that way, uh, can you put my mind at ease a little bit here? Is, is that what we're talking about when we mean geographical context in the Bible? Well, it's interesting. The geography of the Bible, and it's, it's, it's one of the more fascinating parts of interpreting Scripture for me as uh, it, it's really the stage on which uh, the drama of redemption is acted out or played out. And uh, so it's, um, I, I did a whole semester study on Old Testament survey driven by uh, geography. And uh, every, every study was a tracing of a map. 
So it, it's really just understanding that riverbeds and streets and walls and fortresses, seas and oceans, mountains, valleys, all of those are simply the stage that sets the, the, the context uh, for the unfolding story of God's redeeming plan. Mm. I, I think that's helpful to remember. You know, we've talked a little bit about plot development and, and characters and things like that, especially in narrative in the past. And, and sometimes we have a tendency to read the Bible as kind of a cold, sterile book um, rather than, you know, this, this drama acted out on a real stage with real places. You know, oftentimes I know they talk about how um, an author's ability to set the stage and, and draw you into the, the scene is one of the things that makes for really good stories and understanding the biblical setting and the biblical geography is, is kind of like that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, I, it, it's really, I, I think one author put it this way. He said, the more you understand the land of the Bible, the more you can understand the Bible. You, you, you need that canvas to make understandable the picture that's being painted there. So, Okay. So, so taking all of that and saying, we're not talking about high school geography here. Um, how would you define um, kind of succinctly what geographical context is then as we understand it? Well, a geographical context is, is noting the, the, the literal place where the events recorded in the scripture have taken place, have, have occurred. So uh, it's, it's, the, it's the discipline of looking on a map and just trying to put a pin on this is where it happened in time space history and uh um it's it's forcing ourselves not to think in terms of all these events happening in lincoln nebraska but mm. but rather they happened in the part of the world whether it's old testament uh or of the chaldeans or whether it's jerusalem israel uh you know whether it's rome italy uh, it happened in a place that has its own unique characteristics so it's doing the discipline of trying to understand those spots and locations. Okay, that makes sense. So let's let's try and put some some practicals together on this um, and give some examples from Scripture uh, that might help our listeners understand a little bit more of what this might look like. Can can you think of some some good examples either from the New Testament or Old Testament where the geography is key to understanding the text? Well, I, I think I could have answered your question, Brad, until you said, can you give us some good examples? So put emphasis on the word good, and I'm not sure. But, you know, I was, I was thinking about uh, Jesus saying to the disciples, you know, we must we must go through Samaria. And you're thinking, mm. well, what's that have to do with anything? Well, you don't understand. You know, it's it's not only that land that's between Jerusalem and, and Galilee. And it's also a racially divided, it's a no man's land for a Jew and all that. But you need to understand where it lays on the road or uh, the whole story of Exodus. You know, they, they leave Egypt and the land of the promises, hang a left and go three months north and you'll arrive there. And the first thing they do is they cross the Red Sea, they hang a right and go down to Mount Sinai. <laughs> or you're, you're mm. looking at the book of Daniel and you're going, well, Daniel is a captive from the land of Israel from probably Jerusalem itself, but all of a sudden he's in this place called Babylon. Well, where's Babylon, and and what, what's unique about? It? Well, there's uh, you can't read the book of you can't understand the book of Acts and world missions 
if you don't take time to look at the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Antioch into a modern-day Turkey and all the way over into Rome, Italy. So uh, it, it's those kinds of studies that help you understand the, both the, the textual context as well as the theological. Hmm. So uh, it is fair to say that in the study of geographic context, we're going to be looking at maps, uh, but hopefully we're not doing so in a, a rote, uh, memorize this for the test sort of way. Right. Uh, like I know at least I unfortunately did too often in geography in high school. Uh, so, okay, so let's, let's, let's put some shoe leather on this, as I know you like to say. Let's, let's look at the story of Saul specifically. Um, and I'd like to focus on one specific story. You referenced it in your message near the end, but I know you didn't have time to talk about it very extensively. Um, and that's the story of the Witch of Endor in chapter 28. Um, because I think there's a key insight in that text that we learn from examining specifically the geographical context of that passage. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit more about that now. Uh, in case our listeners aren't familiar with this passage, since you didn't get to talk about it much on Sunday. Can you set the stage a little bit? What's going on in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel and the Witch of Endor? Well, basically, in, in the life of Saul, he uh, has been rejected by God as the king. And some 12, 13 years earlier, God had sent Samuel to a young, ruddy, eighth-born child of the house of Jesse and anointed David to be the future king. But a lot of time has lapsed in there. What happened at that point was that God had removed his Holy Spirit from Saul and placed that Holy Spirit on David. So Saul is navigating the latter third of his leadership uh, in the power of the flesh. And, and he is desperately seeking answers from God, but God's not speaking to him anymore. And uh, so he's about to go into a battle with his perennial enemies, the Philistines, and he's panicked about the outcome. And he asks God for indication and heaven is silent. And so though he had given instructions that all of the witches, all of the mediums of the land should have been executed, in desperation, he says to his uh, cabinet members, he said, is there any medium around here? And all the way up north, some 90 miles north of, uh, or a little more north of Jerusalem, there is a village called Endor. And it was never totally taken over by the Hebrews. And there is a witch there. There's a medium there that is uh, supposedly capable of speaking to those beyond the grave. And so in desperation at night under disguise, Saul makes his way there to ask if she would contact Samuel who has already died and ask him to speak one more time to the king as he used to and give him directions or insight as to what's going to happen in the battle. Yeah. Um, and, at, and at first glance, none of this seems very noteworthy when it comes to the geography. Um, but when we take a specific look at the geography of the situation, uh, we learn something really, really interesting. Um, so listeners, if, if you're at home, if you have access to a Bible, um, this is found in 1 Samuel 28, and uh, basically 3 through 9 or 10, something like that. And we learn that there are three key locations or geographical cities in this passage. First, we run into Shunem, which is where the Philistines camp. We run into Gilboa, which is where the Israelites camp. 
And then we run into the, the city of Endor, uh, where the medium is located. So, so Tom, without, without being able to show our listeners uh, a map, because uh, obviously this is just, this is just audio, uh, can you try and explain briefly where these three cities are located um, in the nation of Israel or on a map? Well, basically, as I said, if you, if you go about 90 or 100 miles north of Jerusalem, just almost straight north, you should come to that village of Endor. It's, it's down toward the, it would be just on the southern edge of uh, the Sea of Galilee, but more westerly toward uh, the Mediterranean. Uh, the, uh, the Shunem is about 90 miles north of Jerusalem, a little bit to the northwest. And then uh, uh, Gilboa is, is a mountain, kind of a range, a 1,600 feet above sea level range that overlooks uh, the valley known as the Jezreel, or we call it Megiddo, or in, uh, in the end battle, it'll be the ba- Valley of Armageddon. And uh, so uh, all of these are west of the Jordan River, uh, but uh, closest to the Jordan River would be uh, uh, Gilbo. And then the furthest away would be Shunem, where the Philistine camp for the for the battle. Okay, so so going out north of Israel or north of Jerusalem, that is, you'd run into Gilboa, then Shunem, then Endor. Is that yeah. is that correct? Yep, not in a straight line, but uh, yeah. So then we'll we'll call it the Bermuda Triangle of the life of Saul. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what takes place. That's that's for sure. Um, and and how would just just as a quick quick side note, how how would our listeners find out this kind of information? Um, where would you recommend them go? Well, I, I, the maps and the geography, as I said, uh, don't require biblical discernment or anything. They're pretty much established. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm old school. I've got atlases, Bible maps, and that in my office. But it's very easy just to uh, just to type in. Uh, uh, look for Old Testament map of Israel and uh, ask for it to pinpoint those three locations. And you'll just find that it's like a, a three-legged stool. It's a triangle up just south of the Galilee. Um, it, it, especially if you can get a map that has uh, type topology as well as just the geographic mm-hmm. layout, you realize that there is a sort of a mountain range that runs up north along there and, and and sheds off in two directions. So uh, uh, when, there's a there's a valley that'll kind of go from the from the uh, Jordan River, kind of angles to the northwest. Uh, that would be the Valley of Jezreel or the Valley of Megiddo, and uh, so the the mountain would be on the south side of that valley. Okay. So, so at, at this point, all this information is just interesting uh, to maybe uh, some of us who, who get a kick out of finding out where these things are located on a map. Um, but this is also critical for the interpretation of what's going on in the life of Saul. And so what's the significance of the location of these cities to the story of Saul in this battle? Well, Saul, is, uh, Saul has perennially been fighting the Philistines, but the Philistines have basically been their enemy to the south. Uh, the enemy to the north and the, and the east has been the Amorites. But this battle is all the way near the, it's in the northern third of the territory of his kingdom, which indicates then that the Philistines have been gaining control, gaining ground uh, all the way back in chapter 14 mm-hmm. 
it said, uh, verse 52, there had been hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he attached himself to them. He kept having victory. All of a sudden now, we're all the way on the northern part of his kingdom. And all the way up there, he's having to fight the Philistines, which means that he is losing control and power. Which, which is consistent with God removing um, his sustaining presence earlier in the life of Saul, which you did get the chance to talk yeah. about um, during your sermon. Yeah. Well, and this one, the other intriguing thing is when, when if, you, if you take the earlier part of the story in Samuel, Saul has spent the last third of his reign basically chasing his perceived enemy, who's David, the, the, the general of his mm-hmm. own military force. But mostly when he pursues David, he goes south of Jerusalem into the barren hill country in the south. And all of a sudden now we're up on this side and he's got his other enemy to deal with on the north. So basically when God removed his spirit and his blessing from his life, no matter which way he turned, he was facing mm-hmm. an adversary. Mm-hmm. So so it kind of deepens the, the, the tragedy or the, the extent to which... Um, there's a, there's a bad situation going on here for Saul. Um, and we obviously learn in the story that Saul doesn't handle the situation correctly. He's not, he's not getting any word from the Lord. Um, so he wants to seek out Samuel. And so he goes from where he's camped in Gilboa to Endor. Now, where are these two related to as far as Shunem? And what's significant about those locations? Well, it, 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 the one in this case, first of all, Endor was never actually controlled or conquered uh, in the early days by the conquering land or, or, or people of Israel. Uh, it is also a, a place where it was possible that uh, a medium could continue to practice her thing. Uh, so he, he goes, he flips out of the camp at night, travels several miles north while you're under assault and you've organized your armies. And uh, the commander-in-chief leaves his military group and slips away to this, this uh, unconquered uh, village and uh, finds there uh, a witch, and so, which means he had, to, he had to go within just not that much distance away from the very enemy's camp, sliding past the Philistines who would have had night watchmen and guards out. But he was so desperate for some answer, some insight, that he was willing to risk it all. Uh, and then spiritually to reveal his real spiritual depravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, it, it, it astounds me that, that the fear that's motivating Saul um, of the impending enemy army of the Philistines right before him um, motivates him to, to cross enemy lines and sneak into enemy territory uh, and consult a witch who's afraid that that Saul has already put to death a lot of the mediums. And so just the, the heights from which Saul has fallen, uh, where he's yeah. willing to, to, to move away from his own army and slip into enemy territory uh, past the enemy lines is, I, I think, just staggering to me. When you describe it, it's almost poetic because he, he goes from this, this mountain camp that he's got on Mount Gilboa with his military forces, and he goes down as it were, from that mountaintop into this valley of Megiddo, which is, there's, there's no hiding places. He's totally exposed and crosses that to come to the 
village of Endor. Mm. And so it's, 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 it's almost a poetic description of what has happened to his own life as he just goes down, as it were, to the depths of uh, depravity. Mm. No doubt. I, and, and, you know, what, if, if you're unfamiliar, listeners, with this story, what, what ultimately takes place here um, is Saul and his sons are, are killed. This is the end of Saul's reign um, on the throne. And, and just when we understand the geography of where Saul was going, uh, I think to your point, that poetic reality, it just it really seems to put an, uh, a, a tragic exclamation point on the end of Saul's life um, that we would kind of miss interpretively if we didn't understand where these things were at and how bad the situation has gone gotten based upon the geography. Let me let me throw one more curveball in there because I ran out of time for it on Sunday in a message, <laughs> but but it, it's also geographic, and, and that is that the, that Saul demonstrated his leadership for the nation of Israel as hard as a king, in that he found out that on the east side of the Jordan River, at uh, at Jeresh, they were under attack by the Amorites, so he rallies the the troops together and goes and delivers that city. At the end of his life, when the Philistines have discovered his dead body, they take his body and that of his sons, and they hang them and expose them on a city wall. The men of Jabesh, who 40 years earlier he had liberated, they go through the night, they risk their lives to retrieve his body from the wall and bring it back to their city, Jabesh, and give him an honorable burial on the east side of the Jordan River. That's fascinating, you know, and I, as you look at the, the topography and geography of what's going on, um, unfortunately, not the ending that we would love to have, you know, not the hero tale uh, that we'd love to have, but uh, amazing how, how those previous actions of Saul come back later in his life, and we understand it based upon where things are located uh, in, in the geography of the nation of Israel. Uh, well, I, I think that's about it for the discussion on this subject. I, I think, you know, it's not it's not a difficult concept to understand, understanding where things are located on a map. Um, but I would encourage you as our listeners um, to think about these locations. We have a tendency, I know, at least I do, to read through and go, I don't know where those cities are. I don't know where these parts of, of Israel are and just skim over them. Um, and a little bit of thoughtful consideration uh, for what, uh, where those things are located really draws us into the story, what's going on, and a greater understanding of why the author wrote things uh, the way they did. So I would encourage you to take a little bit of time, maybe look up a map uh, from the era that you're reading in the Bible, whether it be the Old Testament nation of Israel or whether it be New Testament journeys of, of Paul, like Tom was referencing, um, and, and consider how the geography plays into what the author is trying to convey uh, and their meaning. Uh, any final thoughts on this subject, Tom, before we move on to this, this week's sermon? Well, this, this one is timely in that, uh, like I said, Mount Goboa overshadows the Valley of Jezreel. And uh, most people that have read prophecy are very familiar with the Battle of Armageddon and uh, don't realize that the valley that this hill or mountain overlooks is that place where the final war of the nations will take place and the king of kings will win this time this time the king loses but in the end when you read the book of revelation the king of kings actually wins the battle in this valley of armageddon 
All right. Well, let's let's put a let's put a, a cap on our discussion here, our third and final discussion of context here, and and move forward to this coming Sunday, Tom. Uh, you've you've got the the person, or well, we'll say persons of of Samuel and Hannah. We're we're rewinding a bit here. We're going back to before Saul took over for this week's sermon. Um, but what are you looking forward to in your preparation uh, on and your preaching on the life of Hannah and Samuel? Yeah, it just it just seemed like on Mother's Day, preaching about a king falling on his own sword, taking his own life, just didn't seem to be the right thing. So, <laughs> so, so we jumped forward and, and we came back. But uh, this this week, I'm looking for uh, you know this mostly at the life of Hannah. Uh, what kind of a woman has a son who is uh, establishes an educational program, a school, uh, judges righteously, fights for justice, um, a man that uh, that anoints two kings, a man that goes to the end of his life and puts himself in front of those who know him best and asks them to critique and analyze his character, his performance. Uh, what kind of a woman is blessed with such a son as that? So we really look at Hannah, and there's really only one chapter that tells us about her character, and a second chapter that tells us about her worship. So uh, really looking at the mother of the great Samuel. Mm, good deal. Uh, any interpretive questions you're wrestling with um, getting ready for this Sunday? Well, not not in specific, other than just uh, trying trying to uh, outline her prayer. It's pretty commendable that another young mother to be uh, quotes her. You know, they say imitation is the greatest compliment, and sometimes plagiarism hmm. is also a compliment. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, in Luke one, Mary will uh, plagiarize some of Hannah's prayer in. Uh, for Samuel too, so mostly just wrestling with how does that how does that flow with the context? Mm. We'll look forward to to hearing to hearing how you how you kind of sort that out in your message on Sunday. Uh, finally, how can we prepare our hearts for that message? Well, clearly, again, we we see that God is pointing forward. Every sign points to Jesus, and I think with great preparation, we did again just read chapters one and two. And begin to ask yourself the question, where do I find Jesus here? Hmm. Yeah, good deal. Uh, looking forward to it. I know you're recording again on Thursday, and, and most of us will watch it again Sunday morning. Um, the, the message on the life of Hannah and Samuel this week, uh, as even in a limited capacity, we all try and celebrate Mother's Day uh, together as well. Well, thank you, Tom, for your time and for your input on this. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode. Uh, remember, if you're reading uh, each week in preparation of Tom's message, uh, the story of Hannah uh, and as it leads into the life of Samuel is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. We'd encourage you to read that uh, and prepare your heart for Sunday's message. Um, as far as some other notes, I just want to come back to something we mentioned briefly last week and let you know that the elders and staff have both met and are discussing what reconvening our services will look like in light of the mayor and governor's recent comments on the subject. 
Uh, so keep an eye out uh, on our website. We'll be we'll be noting some of that and where things are going there in the service on Sunday. Um, and then keep an eye out for Faith News as well, um, as we'll be trying to get that information out to everyone. I know everyone's wondering what that will look like, and we will be trying to share that as quickly as we have a good, uh, good process for moving forward on that subject. Uh, remember again that this Sunday we will be hosting our Facebook watch party at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. So you, if you have time and, and are interested, I'd encourage you to jump in and tune in for that uh, as we watch Tom's message together. Finally, as always, uh, we'll be praying for you and praying for you as you study the Bible and prepare your hearts for this Sunday's message. And we do hope you join us again next week as we'll be continuing the discussion of how to interpret the Bible for ourselves. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.